Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here. If you've got a Bible uh, with you, I invite you to take that in your hands and let's go to Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. I want to say good morning to you and welcome you. If you're a guest with us today, uh, my name is Lee. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Heights and uh, appreciate Carrie Perrin. I uh, was not feeling well last weekend and Carrie uh, pinch hit, uh, stepped up right at the last minute and, and I think delivered just a fantastic sermon. Uh, so if you missed last week or uh, you want to re-listen, uh, he went from John chapter 6 and talked about what happens when God says no uh, to us. How do we react? How do we respond when we pray and, and God says no and has a different path and different direction uh, for us? And so you can find all of our previous services and sermons on our, our Heights Baptist YouTube page. Also on the, uh, your smartphone, uh, Android, iPhone, wherever you get your podcast, uh, you can uh, find all the uh, audio sermons there as well. So I encourage you to go back, listen to last week. It was just fantastic. Helped me out a whole lot uh, myself. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to end our series in Ephesians. So that'll be our last uh, message in Ephesians. Pastor Jonathan is going to finish that up uh, next week for us. Um, next week, I will be here, but I will be in the back uh, serving in our kids area. Uh, it's one of my weeks to be able to do that. And then just know as a congregation, about eight to ten times a year, uh, I'm not going to preach, even though a lot of those times I'm here. Uh, I do that very strategically because Ephesians 4.11 calls us to equip people for the work of the ministry. And so a lot of times you're going to see Pastor Matt, Pastor Jonathan, lay leaders like Carrie uh, coming up and preaching so they can continue to develop those spiritual gifts of preaching uh, and teaching themselves. And so I appreciate you as a congregation allowing us to do that. And just quite frankly, you need to hear from somebody different than me sometimes, all right? So you just need to not hear my voice all the time and hear a different person. Uh, but I'm glad to be back with you this morning and uh, appreciate you guys so much. You know, recently I asked on Facebook this question. I got a lot of responses, so it was kind of hard to kind of, you know, just uh, bring just a few of these to light. Uh, but the question was, what was one of the, the worst jobs you've ever had? Or, or what was a bad job uh, that you had? And again, got a lot of responses. So I, I, well, I whittled all those down to a top five list. And this is what you guys gave me. And I said, I'm not going to call out names to who commented. And, and before I preached this message, I deleted the post. So you can't go back and like find out who wrote what and all that. But here's what some people said to some bad slash hard jobs uh, that you've had in the past. Toothbrush timer at a daycare. I timed each kid to make sure they were brushing their teeth long enough. All right. One person wrote they uh, worked at a petting zoo, so they had to clean up after the animals and after events. So that was, yes, a stinky job. Okay, sorry, moving on. Come on, you gotta laugh at that dad joke. Come on. It's this uh, Too early in the message not to 
tune me out. All right. Third, stocking screws at Ace Hardware. Um, fourth, Little League umpire. Enough said. Like, we don't need to expound on that one at all. This one took the cake as worst job, bad job you've ever had. And I, I had to write this out word for word to read it word for word because you won't believe this one. As a graduate student in nuclear physics, we had to collect radioactive cat urine from the vet school. Then once a year, someone would have to suit up, wear a respirator, and pour dozens of one-gallon containers of year-old cat urine into the sanitary sewer. I got to be that guy. The respirator kept radioactive particles out of my lungs, but it did not filter out the smell. All for minimum wage. Oh, gosh. Man, radioactive cat urine. So, uh, you know, when you think about work and you think about your jobs, you probably already think, man, I had this job, I had that job, this, ooh, this one was tough, this one was hard. But what's interesting about work is this, that work is part of God's creation, that we were created to work. Work is a command found in the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve, tend and keep the garden. I mean, literally told them, work, work the garden, make sure things are growing in the garden, make sure fruit is being produced, make sure the garden is kept intended. So if you think about Genesis chapters one and two, when everything is perfect at that point in time, work is perfect, right? I mean, Adam comes home and before they go to bed, he goes, well, how was your day at work? Perfect, right? How's your day, Eve? Perfect. You imagine that perfect coworkers? perfect boss in God, right? Everything was perfect in work. Well, then when Adam sinned, sin entered our world, there was a lot of consequences because of that sin. And now work became work, right? Now it's something, oh, I got to go to work today. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to be around this person. I don't like that employee. I don't like my boss. I don't like my job, right? So now work becomes work to us, and that's part of the consequence of the fall. But notice that when Christ redeems us, Christ is after more than just a redemption of us. Christ is redeeming all of creation. So one day when Christ comes back, the new heavens and the new earth come down, we're in eternity forever, guess what we're going to do? Work. I fully believe in heaven we're going to have jobs. We're going to have assignments. We're going to have things we're doing. We're, we're not just sitting on the clouds all of eternity playing the heart. No, we are designed and created to work. But in heaven, that work is going to be worshipful. That work is going to be wonderful. That's restoring back that pre-fall type of idea of work. But now for us, we have to go to work, and that's hard. But here's the thing I want us to, to kind of grasp out of this passage this morning, because I, I really believe when you look at this passage at first, it's kind of like, what in the world does this have to do with us? But I believe it's one of the most life-giving things you can learn about, about, about your walk with Christ. And it's this, it's learning not to find your identity in your work, but finding your identity in Christ. 
Finding your identity in who Jesus has made you to be, but not finding your identity in who you work with, what you do for a living, what your title is, what, how much money you have, or what jobs you have. It's finding your identity in a Savior and a person by the name of Christ. So if you don't mind, again, standing with me, let's read the text. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll pick up in verse 5. And if you're able to stand, let's stand as we read the Word of God. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians in Ephesus, verse 5, he uses the word bondservants, or your translation may say slaves. So he says, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a, a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. Verse 9, masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master and yours in heavens, there is no partiality with him. And I love this word that God has written to you. I pray that you learn to love the Bible, live the Bible, find life in it. Let's pray. Father, it is hard to work some days. Our jobs are hard. The people we work with are hard. Um, what you've called us to do can be even hard. But Father, what we do in our lives can be so life-giving when we learn that what we do does not define who we are, but it is Christ who does that and gives us a mission at work to make disciples. So I pray today that you'll speak to our hearts. You'll help us to learn, no matter what situation we are in life, that we can find that identity in Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, before we kind of start breaking down the passage, there's one mistake I don't want to make, and that's rushing right to the application and taking you to your workplace and you start thinking boss-employee. All right, we're going to make that application at the end, but understand when we come to our Bibles, we often and always want to pull out the interpretation. We want to understand from the scripture why Paul wrote what he wrote to the people he wrote to uh, the Christians in Ephesus at this time. So if you'll allow me, I want to kind of walk you through something that, that trips some people up uh, that hopefully I can help educate you on, answer on, maybe a question you've always had. Uh, but one of the pushbacks that non-Christians will often give to Christians is why does the Bible not call slavery wrong? I mean, you think about what, what Paul's writing in that verse, in verse 5. What does he say? He says, slaves, obey your masters. I mean, why is Paul, and in, in through Scripture, it not being slaves rebel against your masters? Slaves overthrow this system of slavery. Because you see, slavery is all throughout the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament. It's found in the New Testament. But understand this, slavery is never presented as right in the Bible. Slavery is never celebrated as right in the Bible. I mean, what has God redeemed the people of Israel out of in the book of Exodus? What? Slavery, right? He's pulling them out of that. But why do the New Testament authors like Paul not call it wrong? Why do they not say, slaves, overthrow your masters? Why is it slaves obey them? 
And that's a fantastic question that a lot of times your culture is asking when they come to scripture. Wait a minute, this is a God of love and care and kindness, but yet he's telling slaves to obey their masters. So let's kind of dig in here on the context Paul's writing and then the context we know slavery from. Because the Roman Empire slavery system and the American slavery system that we have learned about are completely different. They are not the same at all. Now, under the Roman slavery system, yes, there are atrocities and bad things done to people, uh, just like the American slavery system, but they are not the same system. In the American slavery system, it was based primarily on race. When you became a slave, you stayed a slave pretty much your whole life. You were born a slave, you, were di you died a slave. I mean, yes, your master could free you at the end of his life if he wanted to, but more than likely you were a lifelong slave and it was generational. If you were born a slave uh, you know, and, and you married another slave and you had babies together, then that child was born a slave and that child more than likely was going to die a slave. The Roman system of slavery is not based on race. It's pretty much economical. Also, that very rarely was it generational, very rarely was the Roman system of slavery lifelong. Most slaves were freed by the age of 30. Now, in the Roman system of slavery as well, not only was it not based on race, uh, but the Roman slaves had all kinds of different jobs. Yes, there was a lot of blue-collar type of jobs, but there were a lot of white-collar type of jobs. Roman slaves could be lawyers, they could be doctors, shopkeepers, accountants, bookkeepers. I mean, there were a wide span of what you would call Roman slaves. In the Roman Empire at this time, it's estimated there's about 60 million slaves. In Ephesus alone, Paul, when he is writing this, it's about 200,000 people we estimate lived in Ephesus at the time of Paul's writing. A third of the citizens would be slaves. So understand, Paul's writing to a culture in a system where slavery in the Roman Empire is universally accepted. It's not debated as whether it's ethically right or wrong. Remember in the American system of slavery, at the very beginning of the founding of our country, we had a debate and that debate continued on for many, many years of whether slavery was right or wrong. Even our founding fathers, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, there was a debate among them. Do we call out slavery in this document? And our founding fathers were like, well, hang on, we'll deal with that problem later. Right? We, we have enough things going on for them in a country. That will come at another time. Right? So understand, th these two systems that we know of slavery in the American system, it's not the Roman system of slavery that Paul is writing to. But again, why does Paul not speak out against it? Why write slaves obey your masters instead of slaves overthrow your masters? Well, understand a couple of other things here. First, the Christians in the Roman Empire at this time, it's a small group of people. They're not the wealthiest people, and they're certainly not, don't have political influence. So think about it this way. Jesus, depending on how you date things, died on the cross between 30 and 33, you know, uh, right around there. Paul is writing, depending on how you date things, to the church in Ephesus, about 62 to 65, so if you've got Jesus, we'll just do easy math because I was a history major, right? So if you've got Jesus who died on the cross at 30, you got Paul who's writing to the church in Ephesus about 62, you've only had this thing called Christianity for 32 years. Right? 
So this is not a huge influential group of people right now. Also remember in the Roman Empire, in many parts of the empire, it's illegal to be a Christian. So at this moment, Christians are in a spot where they're like, okay, overthrow the, the, the masters. But here's the other thing that kind of fascinates me about the Roman Empire slavery system versus the American slavery system. Obviously, the American slavery system based on race, many people captured, uh, kidnapped, brought to America. Now the generational slavery system begins. Roman Empire slavery system, you often chose to be a slave. Now, there were times there were people who were born into slavery. There was parents who sold kids into slavery for economic reasons. But then maybe you needed to go into debt to someone and you became their, their slave. They were your master for a period of time till you could pay the debt off. This is one of the more fascinating things to me about history also, is that as the Roman Empire is expanding out and they're about to conquer into a new territory, a lot of citizens from that other country go, hey, uh, Rome, can you just come on in because I'd rather be a Roman slave than be a free citizen in the country that I live, right? Like I have more rights and more benefits as a Roman slave in my country than the country I actually live in. So, hey, Rome, come on in. (laughs) Like uh, I'll sign up for that. And so, so understand these two systems are, are radically different, but here's the thing I don't want you to miss. Paul does write against slavery. He does in the New Testament. He doesn't just call it out, slaves rebel against your masters. He doesn't just say it's wrong. He subvertly does it with the gospel. I want you to listen to a couple of uh, passages. Think about Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Ephesians 5 verse 1, Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God. So he is writing to a Christian who may own someone else. Hey, slave master, be an imitator of God. What does God do? God cares for orphans. God cares for widows. God's a God of compassion. God's a God of justice. Hey, slave, imitate God. How about this? 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verses 8 through 10, Paul writes this, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for the murderers, sexual immoral, the men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Do you notice that word enslavers that Paul said? These are sins. Paul is saying human trafficking, enslaving people is a sin. It violates the very Ten Commandments. This is one of the most powerful verses that Paul writes. And I don't think we quite understand the power in our Western American context. But when he writes to the Christians in Galatia, He says, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Could you imagine reading that for the first time in that Roman system uh, slavery context? The slave goes, well, wait a minute. (laughs) I follow this Jesus. And the master on the other side of the sanctuary goes, wait a minute, I follow this Jesus. So what Paul just said is in God's eyes, there's no slave, there's no master. In God's eyes, we are free. In God's eyes, there's no partiality. We're, we're sons and daughters of the king. Like I, Christmas time is one of my favorite seasons for a lot of reasons. Uh, one is presents, like, yeah. 
I don't know about you, I like the presents. But I, I love Christmas songs. I just love Christmas songs. Old Holy Night's one of my favorites. I, I listen to Old Holy Night a lot of times just throughout the years. It's just one of my favorite songs ever. There's a line in that song. It, it goes like this. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. So what happens in the Roman Empire is this. Christianity grows. Galatians 3.28 is understood. Change and reform begins to happen. And from the inside, the Roman system of slavery collapses. Why? Because of a bunch of laws that were passed? No, no. There's a bunch of people that God got a hold of and they started living out the gospel of Galatians 3.28. There's neither slave nor free, male nor female, for we're all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, he breaks our chains. In Christ Jesus, he frees us. So therefore, in our context, you live in a neighborhood that stinks and you're like, man, I just don't like my neighbors and they're loud and rude and I don't like these people, go reach them for Christ. You want to see change and reform happen in our towns and our cities and our states and our world? Yes, let's pray for our government. But you know what? Let's be Christians living out the gospel. Because what you see in the Roman Empire system of slavery, what brought it down was Christians. It was Christians understanding this good news of Jesus who sets us free and sets people free. And that's how change happens in lives. Is when we allow Christ to be our ultimate master in everything we do. And so when you stop and think about what Paul's writing here, he's writing master. You being a master and owning people, that doesn't define who you are. Slave, you being a slave under a master, that doesn't define who you are. It's Jesus who defines who you are. In Christ, you are free. In Christ, you have a perfect and good master as you are now his servant. And so now let's kind of bring that into our modern context. And let's look at what Paul is saying, if we can, in a boss-employee type of relationship. So let's pick up back up in verse 5, and we're just going to kind of give some practical, quick application into our everyday lives because Monday's coming and you, many of you have got to go to work, right? So... You're like, great history lesson, but what has this got to do with me? Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Verse 5, with a sincere heart as you would with Christ. Notice first he says, employee, work respectfully. Work with fear and trembling, honoring your coworkers, honoring the folks who are in leadership. Notice the second part of that, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Look in verses 6 and 7. He says here, work honestly, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. Modern day translation, don't work hard only when the boss is around. Okay, that's what Paul's saying, right? Don't work hard just because it's review time. Don't work hard just because it's time for the promotion. Don't work hard when it's just time for the race. Like work hard, be that example as a believer in Jesus, in your office space, right? You are going to show up on time. You're going to work hard, right? Now, I have always said this, and I know I get pushback from some of you, uh, because, you know, in, in my humble opinion, I can be right and you can be wrong. <laughs> Being on time takes no 
talent. You don't have to be talented to be on time, all right? You have to be respectful. So if your boss says, hey, work starts at eight, you need to be there before eight, because work starts at eight. You're respecting your employer, you're inspecting your boss, you're expecting those around you. Being on time, it doesn't take talent, it just takes respect to the people that are around you. And so as that Christian employee, that people around you should know you're a Christian, right? I've always said this, I should not show up to your work and start talking to your coworkers and then they'd be like, John goes to your church? He's a Christian? Like that should not happen at your workplace, right? You should be the most honest, hardworking, on-time person you possibly can be to set that good example. I was at an Astros game recently, the last one I went to. There was a guy to my left, and um, it, you know I, I didn't know him. He was just the next guy to my left, and super nice guy. We, we had a great time talking uh, you know, about the game. Uh, about the fifth inning, he was about three margaritas deep. Um, the language started flowing a little bit. Um, him, not me, by the way. Just want to make sure you know that. And um, I don't know if I was clear on that part in the illustration, but let me just clear that up. If you just woke up, he was three margaritas deep. I was one Dr. Pepper in, and or excuse me, Mr. Pib in, because you know the Astros can't do one thing right and serve Dr. Pepper. And you know, but the language, his language started flowing. So then he started talking about the church he goes to. And the men's Bible study he goes to. And I'm like, oh my gosh. This dude is three margaritas to the wind. He's using language that's just pretty salty. He's telling me all about his church and how great it is and his men's Bible study. I'm sitting there like, Lord, you're a good and gracious God. I love you. Please don't lead this man to ask me what I do. Please do not ask me what I'm going to do. Because when we are singing deep in the heart of Texas in the seventh inning, it's going to get real awkward real fast if he looks over to me and he's like, what do you do for a living? Well, yeah. <laughs> Don't be that type of Christian, okay, please. Set that good example of where you are, how you work. Notice also verse 8, he says, work expectantly. He says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or whether he's free. He says, work expectantly. Listen, I, I know we need a paycheck to pay the bills. Right? I know that. I know you need the paycheck to eat. But, but, but work for more than the paycheck. The paycheck and the title, it doesn't define who you are. That's who Jesus is. Work expectantly. Your ultimate reward as a believer in Jesus Christ is from God. Your ultimate thank you, amen, all of that is from Christ. So work expectantly knowing that you are, as a believer in Jesus, you're going to give an account for how you worked, for where God put you. So at work, at school, wherever you are, that's that mission field that now you enter into 40-some hours a week, however often you work there, to where you say, here's where I can make disciples. Here's where God's making, you know, placing me to make an impact. And yes, I, I want to get paid. I need to eat. But I'm doing that more for the Lord than I am just that paycheck or that title or that pay raise or the next move up the corporate ladder. So you want to work respectfully, work honestly, work expectantly. But let's turn to the bosses. For those of you that lead people, maybe you're managers, you're a boss of a company, um, you lead people. Notice what he says here, masters, do the same to them. 
Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, there is no partiality with him. He says, first, lead with grace. Masters, do the same to them. Bosses, treat people like you would treat Christ. Lead with grace. Lead with honesty. Lead with humility. Uh, Lead with encouragement. He says, stop threatening them. So don't use that position to bully or use aggression to motivate people. Finally, lead with impartiality. I I love that part of the verse. Lead, Lead with impartiality because notice how he ends up. He says, there is no partiality with God. There's no slave. There's no master. And in Christ Jesus, we're sons and daughters of the great king. You know, when, I, when I, I look at that passage, and I look at what he says, lead with impartiality. Like, there's no partiality with God. You know, one of the sin struggles that we all have, whether we care to admit it out loud or not, is when it comes to talking with people, and we meet people, and we get to know them, there's a lot of times we size people up. And it's just based off of one get-to-know-you question. What do you do, right? What do you do for a living? Now, I never shy away from answering the question. I was glad the Lord answered my prayer request at the Astros game that the guy didn't ask me the question, right? But if he did, I would have had to tell him, hey, man, I'm a pastor, and this conversation just got weird, right? Because now we need to talk about you. But I was like, no. But, you know, I I get asked that all the time. I I don't shy away. Hey, I'm a pastor. Um, Also, when I say I'm a pastor, things can go really great or it can just go really bad, right? It's just, it's one of those professions. You just never know what's going to happen. There was one time I was at a wedding reception, literally met a guy, was sitting there talking to him. We were having great back and forth. He's, you know, he's got a drink in his hand. We're, we're standing up there, kind of eating our hors d'oeuvres, all that. And I, I'm, I can't, I'm like up against the wall. He's standing here. And uh, he was like, what do you do? I was like, I'm a, I've been talking to this guy for like five solid minutes. He's like, what do you do? I was like, I, I'm a pastor of a church, Heights Baptist Church in Alvin. He looks at me, I kid you not, he goes, Oh, well, there I am. I'll just keep eating my, you know, hors d'oeuvres, stand up against the wall. Take it easy, you know? So I get that, or I get someone's life story, and it's just like 20 more minutes with them, and, you know, we're having church together. But you know how it goes in your mind, and you know how it goes in your heart, because I struggle with that sin, too. What do you do? Somebody tells you. How long have you been doing that? What's your title? Where do you work? Where do you live? What are you doing in those moments? For some of us, you're sizing them up. Oh, well, you know, they do that job. They've been working at it that long. They've got that title. Okay, maybe they make about that much a year. Oh, they live in that neighborhood. Okay, you know, that housing market's up, so that's probably they paid about that much for the house. Am I the only one or I'm the only one that's willing to admit it? You know? And you know what we're doing in our minds at that moment? We're sizing them up and we're essentially saying, I'm better than you. Or, I'm not as good as you. See, what we're doing is we're, we're now kind of ranking people based on the identity of what they do or don't do. So then in our hearts, it can be, well, I'm better than you, clearly, because I make more money than that, or I have this job and you have that job, and I live here and you live there. Or it's reverse. Man, I'm not as good as him. I'm not as good as her. 
And you know what Jesus does? He strips all that sin out of our hearts. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm your one true master. I, I'm the best boss you're ever going to have. I'm the one that identifies who you are, not what you do for a living. And so when I, when I read that passage, that's what's in my heart, fighting against that sin that you and I have of just kind of sizing people up, putting them in a pecking order, instead of just seeing them like God sees them. But you know the other thing that happens is as someone that has been a boss, is I read a passage like that, and to the bosses out there and managers and leaders out there, I, I read this passage, and I know that over the years, I have failed people. Over the years, I have said things to people I should not have said. Over the years, I have sent the passive-aggressive email or the passive-aggressive tweet or, or text. I know that I have failed people. And that hurts me deeply when that happens. And you know what? God reminds me of when I read a passage like that and that happens in my heart, here's the good news of the gospel. God reminds me, Lee, you're a terrible boss. <laughs> but I'm a such better boss. He reminds me in that moment as a boss or an employee because I've been on the other side of that where he just comes to me and he goes, you know, you know what happened? You tried to move me out and you tried to take over. And Lee, whenever you're the boss of your own life, you make a big old mess of it because you're a, you're a bad boss. And you know that reminder of that grace of Jesus is you come in and let me be your boss. And maybe for some of you this morning, that's that. It's you as a, you as a boss, you as a leader, a manager of people, just realizing there are times you are going to fail people deeply. But remember the good news of Christ, there's forgiveness there. It's maybe going back to that person and asking for that forgiveness and allowing the Lord over time to reconcile and repair that relationship. Maybe it's that, as that person that has been hurt and I've been on the other side of those conversations, releasing that forgiveness back and saying, okay, as the Lord has forgiven me, I'm gonna forgive. But I think for all of us this morning, whether you are actively employed, unemployed, you're retired, it's to remember this. Jesus is the best boss you're ever going to have. That you will make a terrible boss of you. And I will make a terrible boss of me. But the good news of the gospel is this. It's Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 10. Where Paul wrote earlier, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This morning, you are wonderfully created by God. You're his masterpiece, created in Christ for good works that he's prepared before you. That's called Monday, that you should walk in them, right? And here's the thing. Maybe today you need to invite Christ into that situation. You need to invite Christ in that life to say, my grace is so amazing. It takes away all the chains that are enslaving you right now. All the chains of you trying to find your identity of just moving up the corporate ladder, getting that next title, getting that next paycheck. Listen, you can continue to do that. You're going to continue to find a hole in your heart. You're going to continue to find that there's something else out there in that person's Christ. It's allowing him to come in this morning and say, let me be the perfect boss in your life.
And so I want to invite you just right now where you are to pray. I'm going to invite you just to pray with what's on your heart, what's on your mind, just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, just going to the Lord and asking him this morning uh, just to, to pray for you, to take whatever's off of you that you brought in. What's that chain right now that's holding you down? What's that chain that is enslaving you? What is that chain that's, that's hurting you, that you feel trapped by? And just coming to Christ and saying, Jesus, I need to switch masters. I need to get out of the driver's seat of my life. I need to get out of the pilot seat of my life. And I need to bring you in. Maybe for some of you this morning, it's for the very first time to come to Christ and ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You know, at, at the age of 14 is when I said, Jesus, I want you to be my boss. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, my Lord. And, and maybe for you today, it's, it's that moment and that time you need to make that decision. You can simply do that right where you are, whether you're in your home, you're in this place. You can say, Lord, today... I'm ready to be a follower of Jesus. Lord, today I, I'm ready to follow Christ with my life. And you just call out to him and say, just Jesus, save me from my sin. And I'm ready to follow you as my Lord and Savior. You know, the Bible calls us just to pray in our own words, in our own way. And so maybe you've never really prayed or you say, I'm ready to place my faith in Christ, but I don't know what to say. Then I'm just going to pray a simple prayer that you can follow along with me right where you are. And it's God that knows your heart. And so you can simply just bow in prayer and say, dear God, today I'm ready to place my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Amen. You know, if you've prayed that prayer today, first and foremost, we are proud of you. We're excited that you're taking that step of faith. And we'd love to connect with you, to follow up with you, and, and just cheer you on in your journey now with Christ. And so you can connect with us by going to heightschurch.org connect. Click the decision tab. That's going to bring up a form for you to fill out. That's going to come right to me. And we're going to be in touch with you to see how we can come alongside of you and encourage you. If you're in our area, we'd love to connect with you in person on a Sunday morning. Our life groups are at 9 a.m. and our worship service starts at 10.30 a.m. So we hope to see you soon and we hope you have a great week. God bless.